My name's John. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Whitewater Crossing. Um, I also have the privilege uh, of speaking on the last Sunday prior to our lives being overrun by Brood X. Are you ready? I, I, I mean, because the scientists believe that this coming week, this is the week, this is the week that billions with a B, billions of cicadas are going to emerge from the ground in the greater Cincinnati and tri-state area. I wasn't around for this last year. I was touring the country, not anywhere in this area back in 2004 time. Like, I'm terrified. <laughs> We will emerge from this stronger than ever before. No, like joking, of course, like, but these cicadas, listen, uh, they're, they're not harmful. I've been doing my research, you know, trying to, trying to study up, prepare, govern myself accordingly. Uh, we don't have anything to fear. Um, they're they're going to be more of an annoyance than anything. But, but just for a second, oh, can we lament together? That's a, that's a fancy way of saying complain. So can we just, just for a, a moment, like the last 12 months, come on, man. Like, you know, you got COVID, racial unrest and riots and, and, and election drama and cicadas. Like, how long, oh Lord? Like, it, it's been nice seeing you guys. Uh, we've had a good run together. All right, I'm going underground for like the next six to eight weeks once the plagues have passed over. I, I, I don't know. All right, I got it out of my system. I'm fine. We'll, we'll be fine. Look, listen, I understand that, that, you know, we don't live in third world poverty. I know that. I know that, you know, this is, this is, these are real stats. You know, if you have, you know, like a house and, and a pillow and clothes on your back and food in your fridge and, and, and clean drinking water, you know, you're wealthier and richer and more provided for than 75% of the world's population. True fact. But really, cicadas? It's just me being whiny. It's just me being whiny. I got it out of my system. Now I can move on. Hi. Hello again, right? Sometimes you just got to get it out. We'll talk a little bit about that today. Sometimes you just got to let it out. That stuff that maybe you've been harboring. That stuff that you've maybe pushed down deep. Sometimes it's just better to get it out before it gets worse. We've been in this series uh, for the last five weeks called Never Enough. Uh, we are in week six. The final week, the final chapter of Never Enough. Uh, and we've been looking at this section of the Bible. Um, it's in Matthew, uh, commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Yes. And it's where Jesus is teaching his followers about the expectations of living our lives in a way that will reflect a new way of living, a kingdom way of living. And what we've been wrestling with is that the pursuit and fulfillment of these never enough statements that we've been talking about, you know, as they relate to anger or adultery and lust and, and divorce and 
character and revenge. Like we talked about how these things, they cannot be achieved in our own power, right? And not in our own strength. That, that, that living in this new kingdom way of living can only be obtained through three things. I told you to remember them. Are, are you remembering them? Through God's help, God's people, and his power. He, he, he does this. God does this through us by giving us a new heart and a renewed mind. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ezekiel 36, 26, it says, this is the Lord talking, says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You know, the, the reality of like, I may not ever be able to live up to the perfection of these ideals, but with a new heart and a renewed mind, I may experience that oneness, that peace with the Father as he continues to transform me. And today I'm wrapping up this series, Never Enough, and I want to start off by asking this question, who is at your table? Who's at your table? We're having a big boy conversation today. We're having a grown folk conversation today. It's age appropriate, but this big boy table. Relationships are built around a table. This table here, this isn't a prop. This is, this is like ours. This, this, this is our family's. Uh, we, we've had this table. It's been in Canton. It's been in San Francisco. It's been around the world. And I, yeah, it's, been, it's seen a lot. It's seen a lot. It's heard a lot. If this wood could talk, there's been life change that's happened at this table. There's been relationships built at this table. There's there's been marriages transformed at this table. Relationships. Lots of amazing things happen at tables. Whatever the table may be, kitchen tables, breakfast tables, coffee tables, restaurant tables, Awesome conversations can happen at tables. Breakthrough can happen at the table. Engagements happen at tables. Decisions, big and small, happen at tables. The tables that we sit at are really important. These tables become tables of healing. Tables of peace. Tables of reconciliation. Tables of forgiveness. Who's at your table? Somebody's calling. They're trying to get to your table. <laughs> I'll tell you every week. I'll call it out. I just, ADD. It's like I can't move on with it. So, <laughs> who's at your table? See, here's the deal. Who we invite to our table reflects how seriously we take Jesus' commands. who we invite to our tables, who we choose to sit with. Here's the deal. Uh, before we can stand for the king, 
We must first sit at the table with the condemned. Jesus' words in Matthew 5, this is him talking. This is verse 43. He says this. He says, you've heard the law that says, like, love your neighbor. We've, We've talked about that. And hate your enemy. But I say... Jesus says, but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight. This is fascinating to me. He gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. Figure that one out. This is talking about provision, providing. He gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you only love those who love you, what reward is there for that? This is Jesus talking, not me. He goes on to say, like, even corrupt people, tax collectors, not you, uh, you know, accountants right now that are really busy right now. We love you, all right? But these were corrupt tax collectors. Like, even corrupt tax collectors do that. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else, even pagans? Do that. Then he says, but you, us, but you are to be perfect. Even as your father in heaven is perfect. Family, these are strong words from Jesus. These these are strong words. Like love your enemies, not just your neighbors. Loving your neighbors is hard enough sometimes, right? (laughs) Some of y'all got bad neighbors. Y'all struggling. It's okay. I'll pray for you. We'll have a prayer circle later. If you want to love your enemies, we've got to first be willing to invite them to the table. The table of reconciliation. And if that wasn't hard enough, Jesus, he ends in that verse 48. He says, like, you are to be perfect. (laughs) And I want to hit that right up front. I want to hit the obvious so that I don't lose you later. Listen, Jesus is not exchanging one set of rules to live by with another expectation of perfection. That's not what he's doing here, all right? You have to note that in verse 48, Jesus' words, you are to be perfect. If you go back and you look at that original language, both in Hebrew, both in Greek, it's a future tense imperative. It's you shall become. It is a transforming. It is a this is going to happen in you. As disciples, we are to pursue the Father's perfection and how he loves as the goal for our lives. As Christ is the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus is calling us to love others the same way that the Father loves. This is nothing new. This is nothing new. It all, it all always, all comes down to love not law. But that's hard to get sometimes, right? I mean, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, they couldn't get this at all, right? And if we're honest, just be honest, sometimes we struggle with this too. Some of you right now are already like in your mind going, well, it can't be all love, John. (laughs) All right, come on, right? Sometimes we wrestle with this too. Sometimes it's easier to follow a set of rules. You know, we even say things like, Jesus, why didn't you put that in there? 
How come you didn't plainly say with my words, <laughs> right? Do not or do, like, how come, like, some of those things are in there, but some of them, man, how come you didn't? Because it'd be easy to, to, if to just live by a set of rules. Sometimes it's easier to follow the rules than it is to love. Especially to love difficult and different people. When I say difficult and different people, who are you thinking of? Don't say it out loud. Going to get yourself in trouble. Some of you came here with them. You want to leave with them. <laughs> Maybe you don't. I don't know. That's what the table's for. We'll work that out. <laughs> what, what Jesus is doing here, uh, he, he's, he, he, you know, this is like the sixth piece of this. You have heard, you have heard, but I say you have heard, but I say this is the sixth one. And he's wrapping this up and he's saying like there is a standard that I'm calling you to and it cannot be fulfilled the way the Pharisees try to fulfill things. It cannot be fulfilled by saying all the right things and knowing all the right answers and making yourself look good and pious and super religious in public. It cannot be fulfilled that way. We cannot live up to the command that he called us to, to love God with all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, all your heart, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he like just kind of zings us with, and oh, by the way, love your enemy. We cannot do that by following a set of rules. It has to be a renewing of the mind and a transforming of the heart. But the Pharisees, that's what they would try to do. That's what the religious leaders, the, the religious like, know-it-alls of the day that, that, that held themselves up high, that's what they tried to do. They would hide their true self. They would hide behind this legalistic set of rules and religion. And Jesus despised it. He despised it. Go, go, go throughout the New Testament. I've, I've done this. It's, it's so fun. I wish we knew what Raka meant. I've asked some really smart people and they haven't really been able to give me a definitive answer of what Raka means. So if you know, you're really smart and I'd like to hear it. But he, he, even that isn't as brutal of language than what he shares towards the Pharisees. These are just some of them, not all of them. This is Matthew 23. Watch this, verse five, he says, this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. Everything they do is for show. He says, you hypocrites, you're careful to tithe. Oh, we're getting the, even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the most important aspects of the law like justice and mercy and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things, you blind guides. Oh my gosh, Jesus. He goes on, he says, you're so careful to clean the outside, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. Verse 23, he says, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Oh, Jesus. Ooh, that's big boy Jesus. That, that's not little shepherd Jesus, like gentle. That's big boy strong words Jesus, right? Oh, my goodness. See, Jesus, he knew they were, they were shutting people out from gaining access to him and heaven. They were not a strong, good example or witness, and he despised them. 
All, re- all religion, no relationship. All law, no love. Said all the right things, looked the part when they were in public, but inside they were filthy. Friends, we've talked about this a little bit, a little bit, a couple weeks ago. We, we kind of all struggle with something similar. We don't need to dig back into that. Spending too much time on the outside and not the inside. But th- there's another really unhealthy, dangerous place that happens beyond that. We, we, we can actually start like leaning more into the pharisaical mindset and never meaning to. Like we can start checking things off a list, thinking that we're doing all the right things and that makes us good right? Maybe even godly. We can just get into a routine of checking. I give money to the church. Check. I show up and I smile on Sunday. Check. I serve in a ministry. Check. You could do those three things your whole life and never be transformed. You could do those three things and never have a renewing of the mind and a transformed heart. You, you, you could spend countless years of energy making everything on the outside and checking off the boxes, but in the inside, we're miserable. I don't need to tell you. You live with you. And my heart breaks for that. My heart breaks for you. Too many people Kelly and I have sat at the table with it. This is where they found themselves. Inside, just checking boxes, but inside filled with bitterness, resentment, unresolved guilt and shame and it all starts to just compound and then it turns into hate darkness and self-loathing and too often when you get in that habit of checking things off you just check out and become numb, trapped, desperate. Friends, no amount of religion is gonna get you out of that place. Only relationship with Jesus Christ can do that. It's love, the love of a friend, the love of a savior, the love of someone stepping in and saying, I see you. See, friends, we've got to get to the point where we're willing to let others see and love the real you so that you can begin to love the real you.
See, it's hard to love your enemies if you don't even love yourself. And that's why this matters. The first person that you need to invite to the table is you. For some of you, your greatest enemy is you. Will you invite the real you to the table of healing? The table of grace and forgiveness and reconciliation. It starts right there. And then we got all these other chairs. <laughs> I look. How am I supposed to love my enemies if, if, if I'm... If I'm in this place of trying to learn to love myself, right? And that's hard enough, as you can feel in the room. If you don't feel it in the room, there's something wrong with you. And I'm not being mean, I'm just, you can hear it, right? As we talk just about this, this seat, this person, you can hear it in the room. The groaning of the spirit, the weeping, the sniffles. This is real stuff. So how do I go from here? And then Jesus says, I want you to invite all your enemies. And I want you to love them. I want you to love your enemies, he says. Jesus, you can't mean that, right? Like, you can't really mean that. That's got to be like a parable, right? Like, it's, it's, it's like... He's like, what are you trying to say? Is this like a mustard seed moment, Jesus? You don't mean like enemies, enemies, right? What are you saying? How could you ask me? Like, you know how much those people annoy me. You know how much those people offend me. Jesus, you, you, that wouldn't be me living my best life, Jesus. And I know that's in here somewhere. Live your best life. You didn't say that. Like, uh, that can't, this has got to be only for the superhero Christians, right? That's right, I said it. But let's go the next step deeper. Besides, it feels good to hate your enemy. Oh, yeah. If I'm willing to be honest on this stuff, I'll be honest on the other stuff. It feels good. You won't admit it right now because you're in church. You're like, Pastor, you can't say that. Yes, I can because I'm honest. It feels good when there's somebody that you know they should have it coming to them and then it actually, it happens and you're like, oh, that feels good. Yeah, get them. Yeah, I mean, I would never say that out loud, right? Right, it feels good. Like Jesus, he, he, one of your favorites, King David, he even said it, right? And he was a man after God's own heart. Psalm 139, bring it up. He said, oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Oh my goodness. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred for your enemies are my enemies. Yes, I hate them. I hate them. Oh, it feels good to hate. I feel it coursing through my veins. Yes, let your hate consume you. Yes, it's good. Good. Let the hate flow through. Ooh, this is the dark side coming out. 
Mm, my goodness, that didn't end well for anybody in that movie. You're like, dang, John, you're about to turn green. You're going to break that table. You may not like to admit it, but there's a darkness inside of each of us. And that darkness, if we lean into it, it will make us actually, it'll make it easier to, to hate than to love. Yep. That's just in us, all of us. That's the sin nature, sin nature in us. The thing in us, the sin is the thing in us that tells God to leave us alone. That's in all of us. And then here's where it's really messed up because then it compounds with this idea of how am I supposed to love my enemies? How am I supposed to invite my enemies to the table when I have been brought up, I have been raised to look at other people and people groups with disgust and disdain, even hate. I guess I'm the only one who was taught bad things. My son will always give it back to me. Y'all need to take a lesson from the 13-year-old. We're a talk-back culture right here. You know, we may not say the word hate, like, oh, I was taught to hate. We may not say that, right? We say things like there are people that we just don't like. People that we can't stand. People at the end of the day that we're in opposition with, which by definition is enemy, to be opposed to. To love your enemy means that I have to admit that I have enemies. And if I'm trying to actually follow in, in, in the Father's footsteps, then I have to look outside of my community and look outside of my people group and my chosen people group, my chosen tribe, because you know how we do. Like we just surround ourselves with people who look like us and talk like us and pray like us and, and we you know, live on the same street for all our lives and, and we just live in this, like, you know, this is just, this is what the world looks like, right? And we just spin every, you know, and this is just what we all, shiny, happy, pee. We just, but that's, it's hard to see your enemies when you never let them in. When you never let those different than you in. It's hard to love your enemies. Think about this. How friendly and open is your community, your chosen community, your chosen tribe. How, how accepting and how inviting is our community to those we're in opposition with. We've all got enemies, it's okay, we, we can name them. We, we'll go around the room if you want. Some of them are easy to call out. No, we're going to go around the room. It's fine. All right, we're going to start over here. <laughs> Becca, is that you? I got the lights in my eyes. Becca, we'll start with Becca. Becca, um, uh, no, I won't do that. Uh, we all got enemies. Some of them are easy to call out, right? Like, oh, yeah, that person's an enemy. That's a global enemy. That Hitler, enemy. 
Even if you didn't think that, don't say it out loud ever. Osama bin Laden. Pittsburgh Steeler fans. I'm not inviting any of them to the table. I heard you, Donna. There's always one Steeler fan. <laughs> oh my gosh, they're raising up. There's a mutiny. Bengal fans, rise up. What about the enemies that we're not quick to call out? You know, what about the enemies that we won't shout out in a public forum? What about those enemies? You know, the ones that we all have but we don't really talk about. The people that we are opposed to but we, we don't talk about. You know, that we don't really like and we disdain those different people and those different people groups. We've got those, and, and depending on what part of the world you grew up in, or what part of the country you were raised in, yeah, I saw them. That's a whole other sermon. This is real. You know I don't pull punches. I, I, Yeah, I can't go there because I'm supposed to love my enemies. I stood toe-to-toe with them. Or how much of the world that maybe you've been exposed to or what type of experiences you had while growing up See, each of us learn to draw lines in the relational sandbox. And as children, we decided who we would and who we wouldn't play with on the playground. Who we would or wouldn't include and invite. And the longer these lines were drawn, the deeper the divide. And what started as a beautiful picture of what heaven would look like became a world full of hate, a world full of people we despise, a world full of enemies. We were born to love, taught to hate, and Jesus is trying to relearn, get us to unlearn, and to learn like the Father again. A lot of these images 
evoke strong emotions, don't they? Don't say it out loud, but who is your enemy? Who are you opposed to? Maybe some of them were in those images. How could someone ever, you know, like your mind started to go there? This isn't just for us. When Jesus first shared this message, you have to understand, when he shared this message to, to his Jewish audience, oh my gosh, he, anyone outside of the faith, those who believed in Yahweh, the one true God, anyone outside of that was considered an enemy. Enemy. And like, I'll kill you. Most of this book was them fighting those people and killing them. We don't want to talk about that and say those things in church, but that's the reality. Enemies. Pagans, Gentiles, mixed race, another race, all enemies. We'll fight you. We'll kill you. You heard the language of David. And Jesus is saying that to them. We've got enemies, yes. We have people we're opposed to, yes. This has been going on for generations. This us and them mentality, us and them, us and them, those people. What if instead of seeing them as my enemy, I could learn to see them as just my other? That's how you get them to the table. You're just my other. my other because underneath all the differences that we may see every single person across from you every single person every single one of us has the imago day in us the image of god every single one of us you're just my other you may look different talk different believe different but you're my other That person that I despise, that I've chosen to stiff arm and stereotype and label, Jesus died for them. That's hard. At least it is for me. I'm willing to be honest. That's hard. Those people that drive me nuts, Jesus died for them. Died for them. For the just and unjust. The blood that fell from the cross covers every single one, regardless of skin tone, religion, wealth, orientation, political interest, or socioeconomic background. His blood covers it all. And he hung on the cross for the just and unjust enemy and friend while I was still an enemy. He died for me. Romans 5.10, while we, <laughs> you thought I was just talking about me, while we were his enemies, while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. That's messed up, right? That your enemy was willing to die for you? It's a wonder why he says, if I'm willing to die for you, will you love How can I at least try not to?
to love my enemy, my other. And when we do this, the, the really beautiful thing, it, it, we find it in verse 48. He says, when we do this, when, when we love like the Father, it says, we will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. He's saying that when you love like the Father loves, you will bear the family resemblance. Oh, I see God in you. Oh, I see the Father in you. How could you love like that? You must be related to the Father. See, we start to look like the family of the Father when we start inviting those to the table that the Father died for. So who's at your table? Like really specific, like maybe who's Jesus asking you to invite to your table? Like not metaphorically. <laughs> like we're all going to eat. You're going to either buy food or make food like so. Who could you invite to the table to start a dialogue? Jesus doesn't ask you to just sit and stay. He, 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 it's go. Go and make. So if he's asking us to go and make disciples to love our enemies, who's needs to be invited like for, we can be funny and say things like you know well if I'm supposed to love my enemies and invite them to the table I'm going to invite some east siders you know we, we can oh yeah that goes like gets them every time on Sunday morning <laughs> I mean we, we can pander that's fine Who is it? Maybe it's your daughter. Maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's your mother-in-law. Maybe it's liberals. Maybe it's conservatives. Jesus died for all of them. Loves all of them. And he's asking us to love them. Even if we're opposed to them. What would the world look like if we actually did that? You guys have heard Psalm 23 before. I know you have. Uh, and those who haven't, I, I bet you actually have. Because even outside of like church, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That whole thing, like it gets used everywhere. Prayer circles, church services, in locker rooms before a big game, which was like always weird. 
like taken totally out of context, but I get the sentiment behind it. Let's pray before we go out there to battle. You know, like, okay. <sighs> I'm just hitting everybody, Kyler. It's like, dang, you're messing with my prayer circle before the game? Jeez, John. You know, for the longest time, I used to think that, uh, you know, uh, Psalm 23, uh, when you get down to verse 5, uh, verse 5 says, like, um, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. I, I, right? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And for the longest time, I looked at this verse like God is going to protect me. And he, he's going to get my enemies. And, and he's going to put a feast, you know, in front of me. And I'm going to sit here. And he's going to put all my enemies around me. And God's going to make them serve me. And, I, and they're going to sit there with envy. And I'm going to sit here. And he's going to anoint my head. I'm gonna, there's going to be a covering and a protection, you know. And he's going to love me. And they're going to sit there and have to to watch me as my life is overflowed in abundance, right? Mm. And I've preached that. Yep. Oh, I've stood on that promise. I've clung to the promise that he will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Oh, I've, I've God, I'm going through a lot. I got all, enemies are all surrounded. Like, right, I've pre- <laughs> What happens when you combine this Old Testament pr- promise with the New Testament command of Jesus's love. What happens when you combine these two? Because that's, you can never separate act one from act two. It's one. What happens when you combine this? When he says, what if under a New Testament relationship with Jesus, this psalm suddenly takes on a whole different life form? That what if God prepares a table in the presence of my enemies, not so that I can boast or not so that I can, you know, make them envious, but, but he's prepared a table of abundance before me so that I can share that abundance with them. Even if they're my enemies. What if my job is to serve those at the table that he prepares before me? to love those at the table that he prepares for me, even if they're my enemies. I love how Eugene Peterson shares Romans 12, 20. He says, if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. (laughs) Or if your enemy's thirsty, get them a drink. Your generosity will surprise them with goodness. Do not let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. (laughs) See, we've all got enemies, and where there is an enemy, there is hostility in conflict and where there is an enemy there is division and separation and and if our actual enemy not the person across from us but our actual enemy the evil one if the evil one can get us to be at war with ourselves and (laughs) each other then we will be rendered insignificant when it comes to our impact for the cause of Christ But where there is an enemy, there is also an opportunity for love. 
an opportunity to unite, to come to the table of reconciliation and allow Christ to help us see each other as one. We may not be able to see it right now, but friends, the pain that every single one of us feels and that so many of our family members are feeling right now, they need us to come to the table so that there can be healing. In the presence of my enemies at the table, if there is justice to be served, God will serve the justice. We are called to serve love. Because if we're able to do that, that is the type of thing that makes us different. That's the type of thing that would turn heads. It's like, whoa, how could they love them? That's the type of thing that could change someone's life. That's the type of love that can change the world. And it did. It did.